shall return. God's Word from Micah chapters 1-7. through Just a sampling of what goes on in Micah as he brings this pronouncement to God's people in Judah and Israel around 725. We're going to see again in, in here God's commands, God's righteous judgment, and God's amazing grace and what He says. <coughs> the, the point in this, and reading Micah, my hope is when we're done, we would, would see these things clearly, and most of all, we would, we would put all our hope in God's amazing grace. We would run to God and His amazing grace, and we see His grace. we'll see His grace much in this book of the Bible. But first, God commands through Micah. Micah is acting, as I said, as a prosecuting attorney for this breach of contract. They have a contract, a covenant with God. He has been good to them. He's been gracious to them. He's rescued them from Egypt. He's provided for them. He's provided in many ways. I mean, he, he provided deliverance from Egypt, their oppression and slavery that they were under. He blessed them by rescuing them from all that. He met their needs physically. He took care of them. He provided a, a way for, for them to enjoy His presence in their midst, to walk with God, to know the, the most glorious thing there is in all of creation, God Himself. He made Himself known. He chose them to be His treasured possession. He wanted to live among them. He blessed them in all those ways. He provided a sacrificial system that would speak of forgiveness of their sins because they recognized that He's a holy God and we're not. He provided this system whereby they could approach God and enjoy God. He provided His good commands saying, these are good commands. I want you to obey because I've delivered you. I want you to obey. I want you to respond. The commands themselves are blessings. The obedience to commands is a blessing. It's its own reward. Because when we walk in His commands, there's good things that, that happen. Our lives are blessed. Our families are blessed. So He called them to this. To obey His commands. To believe Him. To walk in His ways. And He said, if you do this, you'll be blessed. You'll be prosperous. You'll be spiritually prosperous. You'll be materially and financially prosperous. Relationally, it will be good for you. You'll be protected from your enemies. All these things will happen. But if you disobey, if you wander from this covenant, if you disobey it, you'll be cursed. And you're going to get the opposite of all the blessings. You're going to have cursing. You're going to have cursing financially, cursing relationally, cursing politically. And ultimately, if you continue, you're going to be exiled out of the land. You won't get to dwell in the land in this place of promise and blessing. You'll be driven out. He commanded them to walk in His ways, and yet Israel and Judah disobeyed and wandered. And so Micah confronts them in their disobedience in different ways. First off, their idolatry. Micah 1.7. You could put these verses up. It says, All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the feet of prostitutes of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. So what was going on is in Samaria in particular, and this, was, this went on in the south as well, they had so perverted things from the worship of the true God that they were actually worshiping the foreign gods of the people around them. And those foreign gods had all sorts of heinous things attached to their worship. And some of that was sexual perversion. So there would be temple prostitutes and, and so forth. And so they were worshiping this way. They had wandered that far from God. Rather than worshiping according to His Word, they were worshiping foreign gods doing these terrible things. Micah doesn't talk about this. We see it elsewhere. They were actually sacrificing children to these gods. 
And yet God commanded clearly in, in His covenant, Deuteronomy 5, He says, you shall have no other gods before Me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And they had disobeyed this terribly. It wasn't just that though. It wasn't just their worship that was perverted. Their relationships with each other had gone south. Micah 2.2 2. Micah speaks of the wealthy people. He says, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. The wealthy people were coveting lands of poorer people and buying them or stealing them or using extortion basically to get those lands and to drive out the poor. And yet they have been commanded differently. Deuteronomy 5, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Rather, Luke uh, Leviticus 19, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the son, sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So they have been commanded to love the neighbors and not oppress them. To care for them. To put their neighbor's interests at least alongside of their own. And yet they had grown greedy and they were oppressing the poor. And their leaders had failed too. Micah addresses their leaders. Micah chapter 3, 9-11. He says, Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Yet God had commanded these leaders to lead rightly. Deuteronomy 18 speaks of the prophet among them who was to be like Moses. Be a servant. Represent God to the people. Lead them faithfully. Be meek. And yet these prophets were prophesying for money, for popularity. Their leaders, their king was, uh, was corrupt as well. Deuteronomy 17 called the king to, to walk in humility before the Lord. And the priests as well. They were to be consecrated to the Lord. Exodus 29 spoke of Aaron and his sons being consecrated to the worship of God, and yet they were corrupt as well. So the leaders were all corrupt. Things had strayed that badly for God's people. And so Micah's addressing all this. He's taking it on directly and he's bringing rebuke. He actually does it in three different sections in the book of Micah. At the start of each section, he says, hear. And then he says what, he, what they need to hear. So hear you people. or Hear the Word of the Lord. And so you see three different sections in Micah. In each one of these, he's bringing these charges. He's bringing these commands. And in Micah 6, he sums up really what they should have been doing. Perhaps you've heard this verse before. Micah 6, 8. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what they should have been doing. 
Loving justice. Loving treating their neighbors rightly. Developing community that, that was loving community. They were to love kindness. They were to walk humbly with God. But they had failed. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, that's really interesting. I mean, it's kind of like a history lesson. You know, 725 B.C., that's a long time ago. Um, how does it relate to me? In 2017 in Haverhill, well, they were violating a covenant with God. A clear covenant. A covenant that was founded on grace. God's amazing grace. And yes, it was a covenant for the Jewish people, and we as Christians now are not under that covenant. And if you are a Gentile, you never would have known what it was to live under that covenant of any sort. But this is a picture of how God relates to all mankind, actually. Because if you're not under the covenant of Moses, you are at least under the covenant that God had with the original humans. Adam and Eve. There was an agreement He made. He blessed them. He created all that was around them and around us. All this blessing. All this goodness. And he said, basically, I want you to believe me and walk in my word. What I say for you to do, you do. Or what I say don't do, you don't do. Now for them, the command was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The idea behind that, though, ultimately, is that God has been good to me. He's the Creator. He's put me here. And He's given me a word. I'm to obey His word. I'm to regard Him more importantly than anything else. I'm to lean on Him. I'm to depend on Him. And I'm to obey Him. I'm to orient myself towards God in creation. And God has blessed us abundantly, all people abundantly, like He blessed the Israelites differently in some ways, but He's blessed us with lots of things. He blesses us with food, shelter, families, culture, relatively stable economies, governments, all these things. All the good things we see around us. We take for granted, don't we? They're all blessings from God. He's a God who grants good gifts. And he says, in, in light of that, now I want you to be one who thanks me and trusts me. And that covenant is, was explicit for Adam and Eve, and it's really implicit. It's understood by every human being. We know, looking at creation, that He is God. And we know implicitly that we have an obligation to Him. To at least be thankful, even more importantly, to depend on Him. That's basically the covenant with Adam and Eve. And that's the covenant for all mankind. Now Adam and Eve broke that covenant and we live in that brokenness. We live in the insanity that we live in God's amazing creation full of His goodness and grace and yet we don't want anything to do with Him. At least, not on His terms. We have broken covenant and He has given us good commands to simply be thankful, independent, to love our neighbors. We understand that commandment implicitly. And we've failed. We are all inherently aware of this simple covenant. We live under obligation as human beings. We live under obligation to obey God as human beings. We all do. The Jews under the Mosaic Covenant, we under the covenant with Adam and Eve. We live under obligation. That's really important to get. That's part of what Mike is teaching. He's teaching the Israelite people that, but by implication, that's a lesson for us. We live under obligation. And you probably think, well, I don't really like living under obligation. That's like, I don't like that idea. I don't like what you're saying. I don't want to live under obligation. I think that's the same impulse that was in Adam and Eve. It's actually the same impulse that was 
that is in the dark angels who fell, they didn't want to live under God's rules. They didn't want to live under obligation to God. But, but this is what it means to live under God's kingdom. And I think we get it in other arenas. We understand in other arenas how this works, right? I live in Haverhill. I like living in Haverhill. There are lots of benefits of living in Haverhill. I can turn on my faucet in the morning and I get clean water. I can drink it right out of the faucet. I know I'm supposed to use a cup, but I can drink it right out of the faucet if I want to. I can take a shower. It's clean water. I can flush the toilet when I need to. And that's get, that gets taken care of by my city. I can drive down the street knowing that the roads are going to be pretty good. I'm not going to go into a sinkhole like one of those massive sinkholes you see, right? There's not going to be any sinkholes. It's going to be relatively well-maintained. I can live my life. I can drive. I can walk down the street not being afraid of being assaulted by a band of hooligans just ru running the streets. There aren't like gangs running around just randomly you know, kidnapping people. There's safety. There's a police force. If there's an accident, if I get in an accident, I know the police will come. And if needed, the firefighters will come as well. The ambulance will come. If my neighbor's house catches on fire, I know there'll be someone who will come and hopefully put it out in time. All those are benefits. I can put my trash out. I put my trash out on Fridays. And someone takes care of it. I can send my kids to school and get really, historically, is a great education from kindergarten all the way through high school. Those are just some of the benefits. Is it not reasonable as a citizen in Haverhill for me to pay a fair share of my taxes and obey its rules? Is it not reasonable? Wouldn't it be ridiculous for me to say, ah, no, how dare they make me pay taxes? This is oppressive. I don't get to express my individuality with these rules. It's all rules everywhere. No, I don't. That's unreasonable. It's right and reasonable for me to live under obligation to my city. And I think we get that, right? Well, how much more, given that we live in God's creation, and He's only been good to us in every way, how much more is it right that we live under obligation to Him to obey His commands? At least to look to Him, to thank Him, to obey His commands, to love Him. First and foremost, right? He's the one who gives all these gifts. It all comes from Him. He doesn't even, I mean, He doesn't say you have to pay taxes, you've got to pay me back for it. He outgives us. He says, I want you to live for me and live in me. I want to have a relationship with you. It's right and reasonable for us to live under obligation to God, to understand that. That's part of what Israel needed to understand in the covenant that they had through Moses. This gracious covenant that called them to obligation. It's also important for us to get. It, you won't understand the storyline of, of the Bible. You won't understand life if you don't get this point. God is a God who commands. And it's right and good for Him. And if you're a good student of theology, you might be thinking, well, Paul, I live under grace. And Christ has paid for my sins and fulfilled all righteousness. So I'm free from the law, right? Yes, you are actually. You are free, but the point of your freedom is not to do what you want. You are free. You're free from the law. You're free from sin. You're free to turn around and now wholeheartedly, voluntarily love and obey God in His commands. You don't set a prisoner free so he runs back to prison, right? You set a prisoner free so he's free to live a good life. 
That good life is obeying God's commands, loving others in His name. That's what we're called to. That's so important in all this to understand. That's so important in the storyline of the Bible. It is right and good for God to command. God is a God who commands. God is a God who also judges. We see that in Micah. God must respond to the breaking of His law according to His covenants. And so Micah is his mouthpiece of judgment on, on Israel for their gross failures. It says in Micah 6, verses 3-5, to he says, O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised? And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him? And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal? That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God said, guys, what's going on? Why, why is it that you're abandoning me? What did I do to you? I've only been good. I've only been gracious. I rescued you from Egypt, from slavery. I gave you these great leaders who led you in the way and led you to the promised land. And when there were people who came against that, I defeated them. And when you messed up in that whole story and did some heinous things, I showed you that I'm, I'm serious. I'm a holy God. You can't mess around with my commands. I made that clear, and yet I still redeemed you and rescued you. So what are you thinking? Is basically what he's saying through Micah. He's done all this, and yet, and yet you've, you've wandered away into these terrible things. What are you thinking? And so Micah tells them in God's name of this looming judgment because God has endured their their gross violation of His covenant for quite a long time. And he says in Micah 1, 15, this, I will, bring, I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merishah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Micah 3. These are three, from the three different sections where it speaks of this. It says, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be... Because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the house a wooded height. And then in chapter 4, Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. Therefore the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And then in Micah 6 as well, he speaks of the same. There's judgment coming on them. Looming judgment for their gross, persistent sin. So in 722 B.C., the northern capital, Samaria, fell to the Assyrians. The city was destroyed. All the people were deported. Most of them never to return again. 125 years later, in the year 597 B.C., Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. They also were deported. God in His mercy returned them 70 years later or so. God had told them this. He had told them, guys, this is My covenant. Walk in these ways. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And He had waited quite a long time. He had given them this covenant around 1400 B.C. The apex of the kingdom was around 1,000. We learned about that under David and Solomon. He waited about 400 years before He finally brought judgment on them, on the south in particular. He was very patient. 
He sent them prophet after prophet after prophet with the same messages as we're reading today and learning about today. A message of His commands. A message of His looming judgment. And a message of promise of redemption and restoration. And yet they refused. And so after 400 years, they were exiled. The judgment fell on them. The cities were destroyed. The people sent out. This is part of the storyline of the Scripture and it's instructive to us as well about how God deals with disobedience. How God deals with the breaking of covenant. How God deals with our sin and our forsaking of Him. For they received exile, destruction and exile, sent away from the presence of God. This is how God deals with us, all humanity actually, in breaking our covenant made with Adam and Eve and our our continuation of that brokenness. The result, the wages of sin is death. The the result is exile. The the result is to be put away from the presence of God. And all of us naturally live in that place as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve in our sinfulness. We are separated from God in our sin. We experience His blessing around us in many ways, but we don't experience reconciliation and intimacy with Him in our sin. We are already exiled. Unless something else happens. That exile will continue forever should we continue in it. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says of the people who don't believe they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. That's how God judges sin. He sends us away. Sends us away from His blessing. That's what Israel experienced. They were sent away. They were put into exile. That's what we'll experience if we live in our sin. Unless something happens to intervene. That's the reality. Exile from God. Life is found in God alone. Apart from God, there's only death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. This is how God deals with it. God is a God who judges in His justice. He will judge all. And we will all stand before Him and be judged Hebrews 9, 27, it says it's destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. Every single human being, male and female, all of us will die and face judgment for our lives. Just like Israel did in Micah. And ultimately, if we live in our sin, that judgment will result in exile. Losing all the benefits. And again, I I think that's like we hear that like, wow, what a mean God. It's just not fair. We think like that. We struggle with it, those things at, at times. But, but I think if we step out of this context and think about life, it, it makes sense. Think of it this way. Imagine that there's this really nice skate park. Anyone here ever like a skateboarder? Is a skateboarder? Was a skateboarder? All two of you. Excellent. I, skated, I was a skateboarder way back too, but we just went down hills. We didn't do fancy stuff. But imagine there's this really nice skate park. It's got all the right things, the ramps, the rails, the grind boxes, the bowls, places to hang out and watch guys do their stuff. Uh, and there's a, a sign there, three simple rules for the skate park. It says, first, um, no skating from midnight to 6 a.m. Second rule, no littering. Third rule, no graffiti. So the city makes the skate park, and then one month later, it's a mess. There's litter everywhere. There's 
Big Mac boxes and cans everywhere you can't skate anywhere. There's been people skating in the middle of the night causing problems in, in, for the neighborhood and everything. And there's not a square inch left of the whole skate park that's not tagged by somebody's graffiti. Would it be right for the town to say, hey, no more skate park. We're going to close it down. No one's obeying the rules. We're going to send you away. No benefit there. Yes? I think so. Right? Well, we live in the most amazing skate park there is. God's creation. And God has given us very simple rules. They make sense. Love me. I love you. I've given this all for you that you might know me. Love me. Two, love your neighbor as yourself. Simple. Two simple rules. Sum up all the other rules, really, right? And yet, we do the opposite. We blaspheme God. We ignore God. We create cultures that, where God isn't featured at the center or even in the story. We don't really care about our neighbors, only often what they can do for us, generally. We, we violate these things. We fail. And so is it not right to God say, no more skate park? You want, you want that? Here you go. I'm sending you away from my presence and my goodness. That's judgment. That's justice. That's good. That's reality. That's what Micah teaches us. Finally, in the story, there's more good news. There's good news here. Because if it just ended here, it would be right and just, right? God would be just to shut down the skate park and send us all away. But thank God it's not His character to merely be just. He is just. He's perfectly just. He's a gracious God. He's a God of hope. He's a God of mercy. And so Micah is packed full of these amazing, audacious, gracious promises from God through and through. He says some amazing things. Now remember, he's saying these things to a people who have shunned God, who have turned away, who are walking in heinous evil. And yet God is still speaking to them these gracious promises. So Micah 2, 12-13, he speaks. He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. Verse 12, he says that. So basically, I'm going to gather you guys together. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to be a shepherd and bring you together. I'm going to rescue you. And then verse 13, he says, He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Now this alludes to a besieged city and some king leading them out of the besieged city to safety. But it's interesting, it says at the end of that, in verse 13, their king passes on before them, so their king's leading them to safety. But who is their king? The Lord. That, that's Yahweh, God's name, at their head. So God is saying to them, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to rescue a remnant. Not everybody's going to go. And I'm going to deliver them. And, and this would have been fulfilled in that time of under the siege, I believe, that there was a fulfillment of this, but it points ahead to something greater because the one who leads them out is, is God Himself. It points forward to the King who would rescue them. Ultimately, to Jesus. And we'll talk more about that shortly. Another promise, Micah 4, 1-5. In the midst of all this judgment that's right in coming to them, God brings them this wonderful promise in Micah 5. It says this, it shall come to pass in the latter days, that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is a a wonderful promise here in the middle of all the other stuff going on. In the middle of them actually being oppressed, what's going on the context is that the mountain of the Lord is not being raised up here. The mountain of the Lord, Jerusalem, is being torn down. They're going to experience judgment. The nations are going to come in and tear it down and ultimately exalt their gods. And He's promising them something in the future, something greater, where the mountain of the Lord will be raised up as the highest mountain. Higher than all the other mountains. Higher than all the other kingdoms. And all the kingdoms of the earth will come to this mountain saying, I want to know God. And I want to know His ways. And they will, they will turn away from their ways of war. They will turn away from being God's enemies to living in peace and coming to God. It says this will happen in the latter days. I don't have time to get into all, all the aspects of this. But this promise is fulfilled Ultimately, when Christ returns and the the world is transformed, but it's even being fulfilled now through God's people. As as God raises up the mountain of the Lord, raises up His church in the earth for people to stream to. One other promise. Actually, one other after this one. But one other prophetic promise here. Micah 5, 2-4. You've probably heard this one before. It's the one that we read at Christmas time. It says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Micah is saying that this little town of Bethlehem will produce a great ruler. One whose origins go back to ancient times, mostly, most likely meaning to David. And he will emerge after a time when Jerusalem has been given up to other rulers. He'll be born after this time. And he will lead true Israel. He'll be the shepherd king who leads God's flock. It's speaking of Jesus, right? We know that from our New Testament. That God would supply this shepherd king who would lead God's people. He would be the ideal shepherd king. And we know the story. We know how this was fulfilled. Christ has come. and Christ came and Christ obeyed all these commands that the Israelites were called to obey. He obeyed them from the heart. He obeyed the commands we are called to obey. Loving God with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving neighbor as self. He fulfilled our righteousness. And then He went to the cross to pay our judgment. He fulfilled what we see in Micah, obeying the commands and taking judgment on Himself for our failures. And through His death, through faith in Him, our sins are paid for. 
and were counted righteous as if we had obeyed all those commands. He is the Shepherd King who comes to rescue us from our sin, rescue us from judgment, and lead us in this new life, in this kingdom, under His reign. That's Jesus. That's the promise here. That's the audacious promise amidst all the the judgment that's going on to people who deserve it. God is extending to them hope for rescue. Guys, as we read Micah, we need to hear about the God who commands and the God who judges, but we also need to hear about the God who rescues. And so Micah ends in chapter 7. Saying this, and by the way, the name Micah means who is like God. So Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is our God. A gracious God. A God who forgives. A God who casts all our iniquities into the heart of the sea. He puts our iniquities on His Son so that in Him, through His blood, they're all paid for. All of our failure to obey the good commands is paid for by Christ. Past, present, and future. All the righteous judgment we deserve is put on Christ so that in Him, as we put our faith in Him, we are forgiven. We are counted righteous. And now we are led by a shepherd king into new life and we have new power to walk in God's commandments. There's nothing better. And there's no one like our God. So, as the band comes up and prepare to enter into communion just as we close here, let me ask you, do you understand God this way? Do you understand that He's a God who commands? He's good. He's got good commandments. Do you understand that He's a God who judges? He must judge. But more importantly in all that, He's a God who rescues. He sent His Son for us. And we're to run to Him for His mercy and grace and live in that amazing grace. Will you know God as He is? Will you know God as a God who commands, who judges, and a God who rescues? As we prepare to take communion this morning, we'll do that in a little bit. During, um, we'll, the elements will be distributed dur- during the music. If you are a believer, we 